0: Good morning, I'm glad to come to you on this Easter Sunday morning, and hopefully this will be the last Easter that I ever have to preach to an empty church. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts and the second chapter. We're going to look at Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost and how he so powerfully preached about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. It says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death. Because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy. With thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when Peter opens his mouth to preach this great message, we understand that this was the day of Pentecost. And God had ushered in the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit had come. In a mighty demonstration of power and uh, with, with the wind, the mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire sitting upon the disciples. And many were puzzled and, and questioned what was happening. And Peter explained to them that what, what was going on is they were seeing the, uh, the, the beginning of the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that the last days were being ushered in. He said in the last days that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. It was Joel's prophecy. That they were being uh, ushered in the, the, the last days. The, the end of times had, had come. The, the end of the age was upon us. And the Holy Spirit was signifying this by His arrival in the earth. Now, Peter, before one of the last times we saw Peter in the Gospels, he was sh- cowering back in fear. He denied his Lord. But now we see Peter uh, boldly proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the difference of Pentecost. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes in the life of a believer. And he says, you men of Israel. There's people from all over uh, the world who have come to uh, Jerusalem for Pentecost. They've come to celebrate the feast. And he says, you men of Israel, hear these words. And those of you who are listening to me this morning, or whenever you're listening by way of the internet or audio or Facebook I want you to hear these words because these words that Peter spoke are just as powerful today as they were when the apostles spoke them, empowered by the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. He said, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I love to hear that name, Jesus of Nazareth. Even in that is an indictment on the sinful pride of humanity. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in a palace He was born in a little Galilean village, Bethlehem. He was born, and he had a humble beginning, the Son of God. It says, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. Jesus of Nazareth, the one who is the king of kings, the king of the Jews, was the inscription over his head on Calvary. Jesus of Nazareth, the man who is fully God and fully man. Jesus of Nazareth. Peter says he was a man approved of God. He was attested by God. He was fully uh, validated by God Himself. God demonstrated that Jesus was exactly who He said. That he was. We know that when he was baptized in the Jordan River and John the Baptist baptized him, when he came up out of the water, Jesus says that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus Christ in the form of a dove, and we heard the voice of God Almighty. Yahweh said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He attested that Jesus Christ was of God, he was approved by the Father. There were three things, Peter says, that demonstrated. That Jesus was approved of God. He mentions three things. Miracles. Wonders. And signs. First of all miracles. In the Greek the word is dunamis. You may be familiar with this word. It's also translated as power. In some places. Miracles. He was approved by God. By miracles. We saw from, from the earliest of times. We saw Jesus Christ. Beginning his public ministry. And he turned the water into wine and He healed the lepers, He raised the dead. He did so many mighty, wonderful works. When John the Baptist sent word to uh, Jesus, and and, and He sent His disciples and He said, are you the one that should come or do we look for another? And Jesus said, go tell John the things that you see and hear. He says, the dead are raised, the, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus Christ was demonstrating that He was God in the flesh, that he was the Messiah. We read countless times where Jesus cleansed the leper. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. He healed the paralytic then the crippled. He did many wonderful things. He fed the multitudes. He fed them uh, with a few loaves and a few fishes. He fed thousands of people. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So we know about the miracles. God did many miracles by the hand of Jesus. God did many powerful things. Uh, in, the, in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, He did many mighty, wonderful works. Uh, Peter would later say in the book of Acts that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. There were miracles. The scripture says there was also wonders. The Greek word is teras. What are wonders? Wonders are things that leave people in amazement. They leave people astonished. They marvel at the things that they have witnessed. We know that even on the day of Pentecost, it says that the people were perplexed. They were greatly uh, uh, amazed that they were hearing everyone speaking in their own languages. Wonders, many wonderful things were done by Jesus. There were numerous occasions where Jesus did miracles, and He would preach and teach. And the people would say, we've never seen it this way before. Even the disciples, when they would see Him do things like walking on the water and rebuking the sea with a word. And it says that they were terrified. They were sore amazed. They had never seen anything on this fashion. There were wonders. Scripture says also, there were signs. The Greek word is semion. Semion signs now it's interesting wonders never occur without signs in the book of acts whenever you see the word wonder you will see the word sign and why is that well it's because God never does anything without a purpose God never does anything just for the sake of doing miracles he's not just a uh, Jesus was not just a magician he was not just a, a wonder worker he was not just trying to astound and confound the people but the wonders pointed to Simeon which is a sign now what does a sign do a sign points you to something. A sign gives you direction. A sign gives you guidance. In this particular case, the signs, excuse me, the miracles, dunamis, the wonders, teras they point to the sign, and the sign points to who? Jesus Christ. Listen to me. When Jesus did the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which pr- was probably more like 15 or 20,000 if you count women and children, But when Jesus, when he uh, fed the multitudes, the loaves and fishes, it wasn't just simply so that he could feed them. It was so that he could uh, could teach them that he was the bread of life, that great I am statement. So the miracle was only a, a, a signpost leading people to really recognize Jesus as the bread of life. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it wasn't just simply a demonstration of power, but it's so that he could teach Mary and Martha and all of the people in the land of Bethany, that, that great truth that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And though people are dead, yet will they live if they believe on him. So God approved of Jesus of Nazareth by miracles, wonders, and signs. And notice he says that God did by him, verse 22, in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. In other words, none of this was done in a corner. Even the Pharisees could not deny the miracles that Jesus was doing. Nicodemus came to Jesus. And he says, No man can do the things that you do, the the miracles, the signs that you do, except God be with him. The Pharisees took counsel together, and they said, Everyone's going to go after him because he's done so many miracles. So it was done out in the open. One verse about his life. Now in verse 23, we get to one verse about his death. It says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Here we see in this one verse both the sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of of every man. First of all, he was delivered by the determinant counsel and the knowledge of God. Now some might say, well, if Jesus was the Messiah, why did he die? Well, the, the Bible predicted that the Messiah would die. In Psalm 22, the scriptures predicted that the Messiah would be crucified, that his hands and his feet would be pierced and this was before crucifixion had even been invented as a form of execution in Psalm 41 I think it's verse 9 the scripture predicts that one of Jesus's familiar friends would betray him that Judas would be betrayed the scripture prophesied that the Messiah would die probably one of the most well-known prophecies about the death of Messiah is Isaiah 40 excuse me Isaiah 53 where it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God had predicted that Jesus Christ would die. Jesus was in control of his own death. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down, and if I lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. When Jesus cleansed the temple in John chapter 2, the the chief priests, the, the Jews, came to him, and they said, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll rise again. I'll raise it up again. They thought he was speaking of Herod's temple, but he was speaking of his own Body, We read in Revelation 13 that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Beloved, God's plan for Jesus Christ had always been that He would fulfill the types and shadows of the Old Testament. That He would be that Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God that would come and give His life as a ransom for many. But notice also the responsibility of human beings. The Jews had betrayed Him. They had handed Him over to the wicked, godless men, the Romans. And it says that they have crucified him and slain him. So even though it was God's plan, God didn't make them do it. He simply used what they were already going, planning to do to further and accomplish his purposes. God uses even the wicked. The scripture says God even raised up Pharaoh that his name might be glorified in all the earth. So that's the life and the death of Jesus in two verses. Now we're going to talk about the resurrection and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, it says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. That word uh, translated as pains of death, is actually related to childbirth, birth pangs. So in a very real sense, the tomb was a metaphor, almost like a womb, giving new life the the tomb was only temporary it was only transitional it was just a gateway by which he would enter into eternal life and eternal existence when John the revelator meets Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos Jesus says fear not John I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore (laughs) with the keys of hell and death he is the risen Savior he is the living Lord he is God in the flesh It was not possible that he should be held by the pains of death, but he would be raised up. He was the man that death could not hold. Now in verse 25, Peter quotes from the Psalms. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. You know what, folks? We're gonna go through hard times in this life. Some of you are going through hard times right now. The way you're going to get through that is if you can keep the Lord always in front of your face. Don't let the Lord out of your sight. Understand that He's at your right hand. The Bible says that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. You know how you're going to get through hard times? You're going to get through hard times by keeping the Lord before your face always. Get your eyes off of the television. Get your eyes off of social media. Get your eyes off of the naysayers. Get your eyes off the hypocrites in the church. Get your eyes on Jesus because He is the one that's going to see you through. He said, He's on my right hand that I should not be moved. Verse 26, He says, Therefore did my heart rejoice. And my tongue was glad. More, moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Well, how in the world can that be? After all, Jesus is dying on the cross. Uh, David is speaking in the first person of the Messiah here. He's prophesying. How is it that he can rejoice? Well, we read in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's set at the right hand of the throne of God. In heaven, how could Jesus endure the agony of the cross? Because He he saw the joy that was before him. What joy? The fact that he would bring many sons unto glory, the fact that his death would reconcile you and I to a holy God, the fact that his sacrificial death would guarantee that you and I would spend together eternity with God and Jesus Christ in heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus He was glad. He knew that his pain was only temporary. He knew that his suffering was going to make way for a far more eternal weight of glory. Paul would say this to the Roman believers. I think it's in the eighth chapter. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Better days are ahead, believer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. If you don't. Know Jesus as your Savior. Your best, days are in, are, your best days are right now. Your worst days are ahead of you. One day you'll meet God at the white throne judgment. And he'll say to you, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And you'll go to, into a place called the lake of fire. Where the worm never dies. And the, and the fire is never quenched. It's an awful place. It's a place of darkness. And a place of torment. Verse 27. Here is his confidence. Here is the Messiah's confidence. He said, Because you will not leave my soul in hell. In Hebrew, it's Sheol. In, in, in Greek, it's Hades. Now, this is not the region of the damned. He was not, uh, he was not uh, punished in hell with the wicked, as some erroneously teach. Remember on, when the, Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross? He said, Today you will be with me where? In paradise. Jesus was not tormented. When he died on the cross, his suffering was over. He said these three words. It is finished in the Greek to tell us die. He did not suffer anymore after he bowed up his head and gave up the ghost. He went into uh, he went into uh, uh, paradise. He says, you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Because Jesus Christ was raised on the third day. His flesh did not see corruption. His body was not decomposing. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus had been gone for four days. And remember what his sister said? And and the people who stood by, they said, by now he stinketh. That's because corruption had set in. But Jesus Christ, his body, the Holy One, was not allowed to see corruption. He was raised again on the third day, on the first day of the week. He said, you have made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy. With countenance, You know, it must have been an agonizing time, that final hour on the cross, those final hours when Jesus Christ was bearing, he was, he was taking the wrath of God upon himself. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That must have been an awful time. It must have been the darkest time in human history for all of humanity. But his soul was not left in hell. And he, he beheld the face of the Father. He was made full of joy. By God's countenance in His presence. Now, verse 29 says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So in other words, David is not talking about himself in Psalm 16, because David was not resurrected. His tomb stands as a witness that it was not about himself. He was writing. He was writing about the Messiah. Notice in verse 30, it says that David was a prophet. Now, we know a lot about David as king. We often think about him as being king over Jerusalem. But the scripture says that David was also a prophet in the Psalms. Notice how much we're uh, quoting from the Psalms uh, this morning. And David is prophesying in the Psalms. He says, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. From the earliest of times, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and as Jacob was dying, he's blessing uh, his 12 sons, he says to Judah, he says, Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh become. And and Shiloh is a term for Messiah. Even in the oldest, uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, uh, God predicted that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And who else would be in the tribe of Judah? King David would come From the tribe of Judah and God made a promise to David that he would have that the Messiah would would come through his lineage that he would have an everlasting throne. Now Solomon was not the ultimate fulfillment of this promise that God made to David. It was found ultimately in Jesus Christ. He was uh, prophesying about Jesus to sit on his throne. How many times do we read in the New Testament where Jesus has this moniker or this title uh, referred to him son of David. This was a messianic title, Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 31. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. Amen. Verse 32. This Jesus, I love the the the, the, uh, the way Peter is. Is phrasing this, you know, this Jesus, this man that you held in such contempt, this man that you rejected, this man that you handed over to the Romans, this man that you crucified, this one, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the one that God raised up. He was rejected by men. He was accepted by God. He was vindicated by God Almighty. Therefore, God hath raised him up, whereof we are all witnesses. We all are witnesses. Hallelujah. You know, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the scripture says for 40 days, he showed himself to people, he demonstrated himself to be alive by many infallible proofs. You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. You can read in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul said, After the resurrection, not only did he appear to the apostles, Uh, Who were who were faithful to him the the same that were in the women, but he also appeared to over 500 people That would hold up in any court of law Now we've talked about the life of Jesus. We've talked about the death of Jesus We've talked about the resurrection of Jesus, but we're not finished. Let's talk about the exaltation of Jesus Oh, this is so good says in verse 33 therefore being by the right hand of God exalted Do you realize when Jesus rose from the dead after that probationary period of 40 days where He showed Himself alive, He ascended back into heaven. Praise God. He ascended back to His rightful place, which is where? At the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. Verse 34, where He says, For David is not ascended into the heavens, Why? Well, David's not been resurrected. So he wasn't speaking of himself. He's speaking of Jesus. But he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. You see, (laughs) David knew that Messiah was his God. Messiah was his Lord. Jesus Christ is son of David, but he is also Lord of David. He's Adonai. And he is at the right hand of God. Now in verse 36, he says, Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Well, how on earth do we know, how on earth do we know that God has made Jesus Lord of all creation? How do we know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father? I'm glad you asked. Let's back up. We're in chapter 2. Notice it says in verse 1 of Acts, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly... I like that phrase, the suddenlies of God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now notice this. In verse 5 it says, They were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Do you read that phrase? This is important. It says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded. Why? Because they, that every man heard them speak in his own language. Well, why is that a big deal? Keep on reading. Verse 7, it says, They were all amazed. Remember, God said Jesus does signs, He does wonders. They're amazed. He says, They were all amazed. Why? They said, Because all of these who were speaking are Galileans. They had never gone to college to learn a foreign language. Uh, They were not experts in uh, in Asian languages. And and notice, he says, How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Talking about their native tongue, not speaking in Hebrew, but in their native tongue. Parthians, verse 9, Medes, Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia in Egypt. And in parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Greeks and Arabians. Are you starting to get a picture here? <laughs> These men from Galilee are speaking every nation, every language known to mankind. And what do we hear in verse 11? We hear them speaking the wonderful works of God. And in verse 12, it says, They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to another, What meaneth this? This is the wonder. This is the sign and the wonder. What is the sign pointing to? I'm glad you asked. The sign is pointing to this, folks, that Jesus, he did miracles by the power of God. He died according to the preordained plan of God. He was raised from the dead according to the, the prophecies of Scripture. And now he is at the right hand of the Father. And because he's at the right hand of the Father, now he has the right to send the Holy Ghost into the world And the fact that the Holy Spirit has come in great power, and great demonstration, it is evident proof that Jesus Christ is Lord, He is Messiah, and He is exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to leave you with one final thought here. In verse 37 of this chapter, it says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, they were cut to the heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, they're in a dilemma. You see, they've crucified their Messiah. They are overwhelmed. They have killed the one that they were waiting for. For thousands of years, they've crucified him. And what's worse now, he's not dead, he's alive. And so what are they going to do? Well, if they don't repent, they're going to face judgment. Notice what Peter says to them in verse 38. He says, Then Peter said to them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you, and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as, the many, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Is God calling you today? You say, well, how do I know? Do you have a desire in your heart to get right with God? If you're a, if you're a, a Christian that's been living beneath your covenant privileges, if you've been living a backslidden life, if your testimony... Is, has been marred. Is God dealing with you? Well, God is calling you. Jesus said no man can come to, to him unless the Father draws him by the Holy Spirit. Repentance is a gift from God. Romans says that, that, the, that repentance is a gift from God. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. What does this word repent mean? Well, it's the Greek word metanoia, and it simply means to change. It means to change your mind, a change of heart that results in a change of action. Change your way, change your thoughts about the Messiah. Repent and be baptized. You see, some people have gotten their baptism and their salvation backwards. Some of you have been baptized as babies. The Bible never instructs anyone to baptize anyone that's not a believer in Jesus Christ. The the apostles, the leaders in the early church, they only baptized people they had made a profession of faith. The water baptism was an outward expression, an outward demonstration of what had already inwardly taken place. So, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... I urge you, I implore you today, just as Peter said to those guys on the day of Pentecost, you must repent. Change your mind. Change your mind about God. Say, God, I I, I agree. I confess to you, God, that I am a sinner in need of salvation. I confess to you that I have sinned, that I have come short of the glory of God. And I need you, and I can't do it on my own. I need you to cleanse me. And to forgive me. And our promise from God is that if we come to Jesus in sincerity and in truth, that he will not reject us. The one who comes to him, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. So I want to leave you with that thought this morning. Now, keep in mind that this was spoken almost 2,000 years ago. And Peter says that this that that day was an ushering in. Of the last days I believe that we're living in the end of the end times I believe that we're living in the last of the last days only Jesus knows only God knows the day and the hour when Jesus is going to return but he will come again and those that are ready will go to meet him in the uh, in the air those that are not ready will be left behind to suffer the awful horrors of the tribulation but brother and sister you may not live to see the coming of the Lord our life is a vapor. We are here for a little while and then we, we pass away. Our life is just a vapor. We, are all, we all have an expiration date. And you don't know the day and the hour of your death. You say, well, I'll just wait till I become an old man. You may not have that luxury. You may leave uh, your house today and die in a car accident. You may die in your sleep tonight. You may just fall over. It happens all the time. It happens to people all the time. So today is the day of salvation. I have, com- I have given you the message of the gospel and now is your window of opportunity. Now is your day of salvation. Now God is appealing to you. Will you respond in faith? Will you ask Jesus to come into your life and transform you? Or do you risk being eternally lost forever? If you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of repentance. If you've been away from God, I know there's probably a lot of people that are watching this today, and you used to serve God. You you used to sing. You used to attend church services faithfully. You used to worship God. You used to support uh, your your local ministry financially. You used to witness to others. But now your your love has grown cold. I'm calling out to you too, backslider in heart. God wants to restore you, Christian. I want to encourage you. Just as every prophecy came true concerning the the life, the death. The resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Just as the day of Pentecost was fully fulfilled on that day. Jesus is coming again and every promise God has ever made to you will come to pass. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I confess that I am lost. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. I believe that he was tempted in all ways Yet without sin I believe that he died on the cross for me I believe that he rose again the third day I believe that he ascended to heaven I believe that he is on the right hand of the father I confess Jesus with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God save me fill me with your Holy Spirit and for those who may be away from God I'm going to pray this prayer Lord I thank you for leading me again to repentance I confess to you that I have been a backslider in heart, that I have not lived up to the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to start over. Give me a new beginning. Give me a second chance. God, you're the God of second chances. Your mercies are new every day. Let this day be the the first day of the rest of my life. And for every believer that's sick and afflicted, uh, anxious, fearful, God, may you give them uh, the comfort that only your Holy Spirit can bring. God, we ask you to protect all of our our, our medical personnel, first responders, um, all of our essential employees who are still out there on the front lines. God, protect them from the coronavirus. I pray for those that are sick, that they would be healed. And I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive the sins of this, this nation, God, and heal our land. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, reach out to us and let us know. We would love to pray with you. Until next time, God bless you.